0: Hey y'all, Cable here in this week's podcast brought to you by the Go Wild app. If you're tired of the hate on social media, uh, just people, spiteful people talking down to you because you enjoy hunting or fishing, uh, then you need to go over to Go Wild. It's free for iPhone and Android users. It is a welcoming community made up of outdoor enthusiasts. So whether you want to share your latest catch or harvest or uh, a recipe or just a photo of God's great outdoors. You can do it all on the Go Wild app. I'll see you over there. Good morning, good morning, Cable Smith. Welcome everybody to the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. It is great to be here talking, hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies with you fine folks. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here today. I do appreciate each and every one of you. Hope you're having a great week, uh, making time to get out there and sit in a tree, hopefully, Uh, if you are, wear that safety harness. Don't be selfish. Do it for those who love you because it would suck. It would really suck to come home from a hunting trip dead. So please wear that safety harness. That being said, we've got a great show lined up for you today. Our good friend Derek Ratliff of Horizon Firearms will be here and we will get into a myriad of topics, which I will tell you about momentarily. Uh, But you know what to do by now. Pull up that stool a little closer to the campfire. For yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat-up old thermos. Yep, the one your grandfather passed down to you. Probably says Stanley on the side, if it's like mine. And it's likely still got mud caked on it from last duck season. Uh, which, uh, hey, the opener will be here maybe like two weeks now. So excited about that. I know y'all are as well. Uh, but anyway, here's what we're going to do on today's broadcast. We're going to talk do-it-yourself Alaskan caribou hunting Uh, everything that went into Derek's hunt from planning to the gear, to the cost, to the local customs and traditions. And I imagine that will take up the majority of the show. Uh, but we'll wrap it up by talking a little elk hunting as well. Uh, Derek just got back, uh, from New Mexico. So he did the Alaska trip, came home, basically went straight to New Mexico for some rifle elk hunting and so we'll get into that at the bottom of the hour. Now, there's a cool story concerning a bull that uh, Derek actually wounded. It has a, a heartwarming end to that situation, and I'll have Derek tell us about that as well. So that's what's on the docket for today. Couple other things to mention. Don't forget that our October photo of the month contest is going on right now. We've got a Kofieger Industries ambush this is the perfect mount for anybody who rifle hunts out of a blind. Um, total value of the Ambush and Reaper Grip is 580 bucks. So, awesome prize for you this month. Just email your best outdoor photo to lonestaroutdoorsshow at gmail.com. Better yet, you can post it on our Facebook page wall or use that LSOS Photo Contest hashtag on Instagram. So get your photo in for a chance to win that Kofieger Industries ambush. And then our 12 monthly winners at the end of the year will square off for a chance to be our 2018 photo of the year grand prize winner. What does that mean exactly? Well, that person will join me on a trophy axis deer or black buck hunt. Take your pick down at Coons Canyon Ranch in Rock Springs, Texas. So another great grand prize hunt offered up by Coons Canyon Ranch. Um, Let's do a quick giveaway. I've got the Havilon Rebel, uh, one of their newer knives. And I believe, let me open this thing up here. I think this one actually has the fixed blade as well as the uh, famous retractable or replaceable blade that Havilon is known for. Uh, yes, indeed it does. We've got a Havilon Rebel. We'll throw in a Havilon cap to, uh, let's see. Well, everyone's eligible. Just email the word blade. That's blade because Havilon makes the best blade. Uh, surgical quality on the scalpel blades anyway. Uh, email blade to Lone Star Outdoors Show at gmail.com. We'll get you entered into this week's giveaway. Uh, let's do this. Let's take a break. We've got a lot to get into with Derek. Up next, we will head to the Alaskan tundra in search of bare ground caribou. You're listening to the Lone Star Outdoors Show. Cable here for iSocialBoost.com, a tool that many outdoor enthusiasts are using to grow their Instagram audiences. And if you're growing your Instagram audience, you're growing your brand. I recently let iSocialBoost.com take over a new page I created, and the growth has been incredible. iSocialBoost can help you expand your audience to heights you never imagined. Plus, you'll save 80%, that's right, 80% off your first week if you use my promo code LONESTAR. That's Lone Star at isocialboost.com. These are real followers who engage on a regular basis. Check it out, isocialboost.com. Howdy, folks. I'm Lee Hoffman for Hoffman's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway,
1: Texas.
2: I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Fares once again, the number one
0: Polaris dealer in Texas. Just
1: don't ask me, because I
0: won't tell you I'm much too bad when the truth is I'm just homesick, down and out. Well I try to convince myself that I can't feel the pain. Soak it up with Lonesome down and out. There's little Jason Heedy bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Powered by Dallas Safari Club. Cable Smith Riding Shotgun with you today. Uh, thanks to Lone Star Beer. And Hoff, Power Polaris, so our long-time presenting sponsors. And thanks to you guys and gals for being here. Um, we are all set to head up to the great, or maybe it's the last frontier, to Alaska. place I've never been, but one that is at the top of my bucket list. Our good friend Derek Ratliff was up there at the end of September for a do-it-yourself caribou hunt. And I can't wait to hear all the details, uh, especially once I heard the price. Eh, something that I think uh, the average guy can afford. So, before we jump into it with Derek, this segment brought to you by First Light. Check out the new Catalyst system. It's basically designed for us southern guys, as far as First Light's foray into whitetail gear. I absolutely love it. I've been spending quite a bit of time in my pop-up blind and tree stand already this fall you can find the catalyst system uh the shell the shell jacket and the pant right there at FirstLight.com. first light go further stay longer all right uh well let's go ahead and bring him on right now longtime friend of the show and my favorite custom gun maker derek ratliff of horizon firearms thanks for being here bud
3: yeah thanks for having me man always always enjoy it
2: yeah my pleasure My pleasure. So we've got a lot to get into today, and uh, it's crazy because I was in the Panhandle. uh, I was in the Panhandle this this weekend, this past weekend, uh, on a pronghorn hunt, and there was this guy in camp, and he spent a lot of time in Alaska, and he starts, uh, I I started telling him, yeah, he was looking at my gun. He's like, oh, that's a really nice uh, gun, and so I told him, you know, yeah, Horizon Firearms out of college station, built it, And, and then I started telling him, yeah, they just went and did a caribou hunt, and I told him about the grizzly situation and it tearing up your raft and all this stuff. He goes, "Oh hell, I heard about that. I was up there when they were." <laughs>
3: so, <laughs> oh, that's crazy, man. Yeah. It was a it was an interesting experience, you know. It's uh, that's the first time that I've really had to, oh, you know, been around grizzlies in that kind of context, and it's. it's it, the, the scary thing is, we, we mess with them so much that at the end of the trip, it's like you're almost comfortable with them, which is not exactly what you want to happen. No,
2: no, not at all. <laughs> Hell, I mean, was it, it was a couple of weeks ago that 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 guide uh, mm-hmm. and uh, his hunter were, I think, packing out an elk that they'd, they shot it, I think, gutted it, and then came back the next morning, and then the outfitter got killed. Yep,
3: exactly. And that's exciting. <laughs> My wife, because we can only talk to sat phone, right? We're 115 miles inside the Arctic Circle. And my wife, uh, you know, texts me and says, Hey, you know, my,
1: my
3: her dad had basically sent her that article and she was kind of like, thanks dad. You know,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is
3: right after I text her, you know, we, we basically fly up to Anchorage, we get to View, we fly in from there on a puddle jumper plane into, um, like basically on this riverbank essentially. Um, and, and first night we're there, you know, you get you get your tent, and everything set up and, um. You know, get out at 4 in the morning. We want to see the Northern Lights, which was awesome, kind of another bucket list piece of the trip, you know. And uh, I grab a stream light, and I'm, like, shining it down the riverbank, just, like, right there, just kind of checking out camp and everything. And I see these eyes, I'm like, this guy's kind of weird What is that?" you know. Boom, this bear stands up. He's, like, 50 yards from us. And it's, like, it was really funny because at that point – you're kind of like, what do you do? So everybody just ran back into their tent, which <laughs> I don't know if that's a okay. good <laughs> it's, it's like, where do you go? Go to your tent. That seems like a stupid idea, but that's really all you can I mean, There's nothing else out there, you know. And so um, that kind of started off the pace of it. And, you know, we, we got in um, the next, you know, scouted a little bit that day. And then the next day we really got after it. You know, we went to this kind of tall tower, uh, We kind of call it tower point. So we hike across the river, go to this tower point and we had glass looking for caribou, and then basically, um, you know, more or less make a game plan from there. Right. And so we we ended up seeing a herd of three bulls the first day. and These
1: these are
2: barren ground caribou? Barren
3: ground ground caribou, yeah. I mean, you could see for, holy smokes, dude, I mean, 30, 50 miles maybe in in any direction. It's just wide open. The country is extremely difficult country, though. Um, in the sense that how only I can describe it, and I, you read all this stuff online, and it doesn't do it justice, but it's basically like walking in a duck marsh all the time. Huh. So you're you're constantly in a duck marsh, you know, waist deep to ankle deep. Um,
2: so what kind of walls. footwear do you does this hunt require?
3: I will tell you, if you're going up there, and, then, and this is recommended to me by the guys at Caribou Game uh, Bags and mm-hmm. Eastman guys is choda boots and the choda tundra hippies and so you're wearing they're essentially a modified version of what i would consider fly fishing gear so you mm-hmm. got a nice boot and then you've got like this hippie which is essentially i don't know basically a waiter with a neoprene sock right and so you're in this constantly and you can you can make it taller or shorter you know, depending on how hot it is um but you can walk into water that's waist deep to ankle deep without any problems mm-hmm. okay um but it, I mean, you have to have that, and you have to have track and pulse. I mean, those two things, you know, kind of got to do it. But we, anyway, we, we had sat around camp, and we had drawn out of a deck of cards who was going to shoot first, right? And it's so you drawn, and three
2: three buddies, right, so four of Three
3: you? buddies, yeah. So I'd drawn an actually fourth shooter. And so we see these bulls, and we're going across, and we get this little boat, little air-up boat. You know, we're going to cross the river and go to the other side and get the caribou. And uh, so I got the camera. I'm going to go with this guy and film it, right? So we... Get across, and the whole idea was we'll get across and then we'll trolley the boat back to the other side and bring the other guys across. Well, the way it all kind of went down, the river was a little faster than we thought we got across, and it was just like go, you know. And so we went about a mile and a half and got up on them, and some ptarmigan spooked. And all of a sudden, the bulls start coming out of the, you know, out of the kind of uh, alders, creek bed sort of thing, and go out there and stop. And I, I whistled and got them kind of square. And a buddy's like, which one do I shoot? I mean, there's like three good bulls in there. But I don't know. You know, it's like these <laughs> things are amazingly difficult to judge, um, you know, because they have so much character. The judging based on character versus score is kind of weird, you know what I mean? And, and with so, the, you don't know what
2: the hell you're looking at. I mean, you never no. It's your first time up there.
3: <laughs> exactly. Well, and it's like we started looking at how you score, them, and it's like width of this, length of this, and you only get these two time lengths, and the palmation helps always like, man, you just shoot the one you want to put on the wall is basically what it goes down to. Right. You
1: know?
3: And so, boom, he shoots. And I'm looking at the bulls he didn't shoot. You know, he takes his cream more, boom, you know, drills it, shoots it again just for good measure, basically. And and I'm like, "Cool, oh, that bull there is huge, you know? And so I'm thinking to myself, well, maybe he didn't shoot the big one, you know? I grab, <laughs> grab my gun, boom, shoot the shoot the caribou. And now we got two caribou down, day one, about 60 yards from each other. Awesome and so now the fun begins right so i you know how much do these things weigh i i'm gonna say they gotta be in the four to 450 in somewhere in that kind of range so not you know? quite
2: as big as an elk but
3: no not as big as an elk but people everybody in town you know our transport service and everything was like oh you know they're like a big meal just like a big meal there that's a bunch of junk man when you <laughs> get up on them you're like Okay, you know mule deer, you know two guys could kind of tough it out and uh, hook the whole thing in and out, you know. But caribou, that I just don't see that happening. I because you got to bring all bone and everything out. You got to bring the rib cage and everything out, cape and all. I'm like, there's no way two guys could man up and pull one of these things out. Yeah, no, no I way.
2: mean that's like Alaska regulations, right? Yep, exactly. Yeah,
3: exactly. For 23, you got to bring everything on the bone. And some some units, you can you bring it out of the field, in the bone, you can debone it before you come completely out. 23 you got to bring it out on the bum uh-huh. and so you know we get these down and we're like what are we gonna do now you know so we get them clean and i send my buddy back to camp okay like, hey, you go back to camp float the boat down river i'm going to carry the caribou from where they're at to the river and then we'll put them all in the dinghy and basically we made a little harness out of paracord which is a must-have and we took turns walking the boat up river about a mile, 1.7 miles up river to camp,
1: <laughs>
3: and it worked awesome. And it was, you know, It was beat by the end of the day, but it worked awesome. Um, and so, you know, day day one, like we're pumped. You know, we got two caribou down, awesome. We get them in camp, get all the quarters and everything hung, and you know, we ate some that night, which was awesome. I know, like, you, you I've never had uh, it. I've never had it Yeah. You you could you eat like all the all kinds of random stuff and I think you would really like this stuff. I'm like a so, human
2: human garbage disposal when it comes to <laughs> any kind of protein. Just put
3: it in my mouth. I, well, you, know. you you try some stuff that I just couldn't <laughs> couldn't get behind. But this uh, I, I described it to my wife this way and she said I think the perfect description. It's um, so I like I like waterfowl, you know, said I like the richness of waterfowl meat, but I don't love the aftertaste, like the muddy taste, right? Uh-huh. So this is... You
2: mean you imagine. don't like a good spoonie?
3: Yeah, no, spoonie? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so imagine, imagine like softer elk meat
1: uh-huh. that
3: had a lot more richness to it. Hmm. So it wasn't like, it had no game flavor to it, no muddy taste to it, but it was just super rich. Hmm. Um, And so it was great. It was great meeting. So we get it all hung up, you know, get to bed night one. And believe it or not, the the, the bear comes in, and we hear him at one, hear him at four. Of course, you're yelling and scaring and shooting and trying to get him out of there. 27 yards from from the tent. And uh, first night, all he eats is proof of sex off of our hindquarters. That's it. Tears the bag, eat proof of sex, he's out of there. We're like, what the heck, you know? And so we... Then the next day, we make like a almost like a big tripod stand out of alders, you know, and get it all off the ground. That day, we don't have any luck hunting. The rain weather is pretty rough. You know, we went a long way, but didn't get anything. Um, and then uh, that night, bear came in and thrashed it. Literally broke everything down, you know. Uh, shredded all the meat bags, all but like two or three of the shoulders um there are two shoulders and like part of the trimmings basically everything else is shredded so we kind of trimmed out what we could and get it back in the bags and we uh you know move, move locations okay derek i'm gonna
0: cut you off right there it sounds like the trip got off to a great start two caribou down you saw the northern lights the first night but you're having to deal with these nuisance bears coming in and just decimating your harvest so uh let's find out how the rest of the trip played out after the break. Uh, that segment of the show was brought to you by Dallas Safari Club, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. I'd like to get you plugged in with this great group of folks who are passionate about hunter's rights, education, and, of course, conservation. To do so, check us out at big Game. Org. Love to have you. We continue talking Alaskan caribou with our good buddy, Derek Ratliff, after the break on the Lone Star Outdoors show.
1: Keep your word as your bond. And keep your chin up, whether good or bad. Sun Hey
0: guys, Cable here for First Light. If you haven't checked out the new First Light Catalyst System for this whitetail season, what in the world are you doing? Why are you waiting? Go over to firstlight.com, give it a look. It's the Catalyst Shell Jacket, Catalyst Pants. It's what I'm wearing in the whitetail woods this fall, and you should too. First Light, go further, stay longer. Did you know that you can manage specifically for wildlife? Yep, yep, birds and deer don't show up on cue. We all know that. You need a plan to attract them. That's where Plateau Land and Wildlife comes in. If you're a landowner currently in ag and you're done messing with cattle and mending fences, but you want the same low property taxes for less work, well, you know what to do. Check out my friends over at Plateau Wildlife. Call 866-256-2935 or go to plateauwildlife.com today. Hey, hey, all you waterfowl junkies out there, Cable here for TX Duck Blinds, highly durable and highly mobile customized duck blinds built by duck hunters for duck hunters. Each blind is built from solid steel by professional welders and field tested before shipment. A duck season will come and go, but guess what? Your TX Duck Blind is built to last. Customize yours today by calling 817-965-1306. You can also find them at TexasDuckBlinds.com or check them out on Instagram and Facebook at TX Duck Blinds. Pike County, Illinois, and the surrounding area is hallowed ground for whitetail hunters. And with 21 years experience, Golden Triangle Whitetails is the oldest outfitter in the state. Spread out over 14,000 acres, they have 350 acres of food plots, 500 tree stands, and over 80 box blinds. The guides take pride in having hunters harvest giant Midwest bucks. Golden Triangle Whitetail hunts the Illinois archery, shotgun, and muzzleloader season. They have a full-time chef and excellent lodging. Book your whitetail hunt of a lifetime by going to www.GoldenTriangleWhitetail.com today. Do you have a hog problem at your ranch or deer lease? We have the solution. The System Hog Trap comes in two sizes, 17-foot and 30-foot diameter traps. After you trap the hogs, take the top section off the trap and use it for another feeder site to keep the hogs away from the feeder. The System is both a trap and a deer food plot fence. That way you don't waste your money on just a hog trap. Call 940-391-3669 or visit www.goinfencing.com. That's goinfencing.com.
3: I've tracked blood in on the floor. I put my fist through the wall. I've dragged trouble through the door. I've spilled wine on it all. Maybe I can paint
1: over that. There's a
0: classic from the late great guy Clark, Maybe I Can Paint Over That, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Cable Smith with you today. Uh, thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Players, our presenting sponsors, and thanks to you. For being here as we are visiting with our buddy Derek Ratliff of Horizon Firearms and IOTA Outdoors. Uh, Derek recently got back from Alaska where he was chasing barren ground caribou up there on the tundra. A place that I've never been but desperately want to see for myself. And this was a do-it-yourself hunt. Uh, So we're going to get back into it in just a second. But first, this segment of the show... Proudly brought to you by Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas, available right now in the Lone Star Beer Camo Can. Grab a 12-pack on your way to the Deerlease and remember to celebrate punching your tag on that big buck with an ice-cold Lone Star Beer. Um, okay. Well, Derek, certainly appreciate you sticking around through the break. Uh, we already talked about kind of the setting there in Alaska as far as the uh, the terrain. It's very boggy, very muddy. You compared it to constantly walking through a duck marsh. But what I want to know is how was the weather? Um was it like bitterly cold or rainy? What were the conditions like on this hunt?
3: Man, it's interesting. So, it's the- I mean, you are not
0: worried about this meat spoiling, so.
3: Oh, no, no. The sun never comes over you like it does here in Texas. It's like it kind of skirts no more than just a little bit above the horizon line. Kind of left, you know, kind of in a weird left-right manner, and so what happens is in the morning, it was like 18, frost on the ground, super cold, and you get kind of a weird fog where we got socked in one day where we really couldn't get out of a tent until 10:30, 10, 11, and then in the middle of the day, some days it would be 55, huh. but the second that the uh, the you know sun went behind the clouds, it dropped 20 degrees like it was nothing. So you're huh. constantly like. Layering and unlayering, layering and unlayering. It's kind of it was weird, and I don't know if it's because of the much the moisture on the ground. Like, I can't reiterate how difficult the stuff was to walk in. You know, I mean, it wasn't um, it wasn't altitude walking. Like I know you you just got back from Elcut too, and it's like that that kind of walking is a different kind of walking. This is you know more flat, but physically you know demanding. Since you're walking in the mud all the time, you know. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: So you know, day three we ended up uh, kind of seeing a bull. Making about a, I'd say about a, or I guess about a it was day four, excuse me. We made about a six-mile loop and got up on an awesome group of bulls. And um, so we get in there and I'm filming again for a buddy. And we're like, all right, here we go. You know, we got uh, got him in there, and I'm like, okay, you see this one that looks like this? Yeah. Okay, I want one good top. Sorry, down no, there's a good one. Okay, here we go. You know, all right, cow's out of his way. Yep. You see him turning? Yep. And turn to the left. When he turns to the left, shoot him. Whoa! Bull, I'm looking at standing there like, what in the world you know it's like i was like Oh shoot him again shoot him again he's like why he's on the ground <laughs> like what you know and i pan out and he had shot the one to the right of the one that i was filming which is still a great bull um but it was just kind of funny you know we had we like worked that hard to get it on camera and, it, and there's so many sometimes that it's hard to like figure out exactly how you know it all it all works but. yeah Well, so so how do these animals act?
2: Because obviously there's no trees, there's no cover out there, you're on the tundra. Uh, How close do they typically let you get before, you know, they get spooky?
3: And I would say around 250 to 300, they start kind of checking up. Outside of that, they don't seem to really care. And it depends on the size of the group. You know, a lot of times we were seeing groups that were, I would say, 10 to 16 animals, and sometimes as much as maybe... Probably the biggest group had a fifty to seventy-five animals in it, mm-hmm. and so what happened is you'd be sitting there, and basically you would look out over the horizon, and over, all of a sudden you see this, and they're they're super white, so like they stick out like sore thumb, right? So you see this like white wave come over the horizon, and it looks pretty flat, you know, but they're booking it. Like one day we tried to, like you read all this stuff, like number one son of caribou hunting is trying to chase one down. But everybody's got to try it once because they think that, you know you're like yeah yeah that's some art you know somebody somebody wrote that that's whatever you know I can, I can catch up with them no way but we, we we saw some and they were probably i would say maybe two miles out maybe two to three miles out uh-huh. and we basically uh hiked behind them the best that we could and finally I know no no BS, probably four miles, four and a half miles out. We're like, no, they just they just aren't going to catch them. And so then I ended up taking my It's GPS, true. The golden rule is true. Yeah. man, I took my <laughs> GPS and marked where they're at. And best we could figure in that four-mile walk that they plused us by about another mile and a half to two miles. Huh. Like, I don't know how it was possible that they were going that fast. <laughs> but, you know, and so it's just, so what kind of happens is you know, you, you do them like a good, uh, you know, uh, I, I can take it to to the high school defense play, right, in football. right? So, you know, running backs coming this way and you get a good angle on them. And you just pick an angle where you think they're going and you get there as fast as you can get.
1: Huh. And if
3: you get lucky, once you pass them, you know it. You know, like, I got them. And uh, if you don't, they're gone. There's just no no chance in the world. Yeah.
2: So, okay. you know, So, it's basically it
3: was, find them, cut them off. Find get them, set and up. cut them off. Uh-huh. Yep. And so, you know, we were in a weird deal where they were still going north, right? So, which all the outfitters and stuff were pretty upset about, kind of like, it's just like, they shouldn't be going north, but the weather's been weird, and the migration's been weird here lately. So they were coming over in bands, but still going north up the river. So, which was kind of weird. But the the last day, you know, we get, we get in on a bull on the last day, um, and, you know, so kind of fast forward here, at this point, we're sitting on top of a hill. We're looking, we see the bull coming. My buddy who's with me is his you know his time to shoot he says, hey, what's that coming towards camp? And we look over and here comes this nine foot grizzly down the water's edge towards camp. And
1: mm-hmm. he's heading
3: right to our meat. So we moved our meat out to like a gravel bar now to try and keep it away from him, you know. And at the same time we look over and we're like, Hey, there's our buddies packing out the last caribou. <laughs> They're packing out the last caribou going straight towards the meat pile. Here comes the grizzly the other direction. So we try and call him real fast on a sat phone. Just hey, you know, stop. Nobody answered. It's kind of hard to get service and such. And so we like, I just grabbed a gun, shot in front of the bear. He didn't, didn't even stop. Didn't even phase him. So you know, put another one in it. Shot a little more in front of him, like on a bigger rock. And he kind of stopped and looked at the rock and walked straight about thirty yards from our tent and just sat out.
2: <laughs> and it's illegal. I mean, you can't, you can't kill a bear to protect your meat. Only to protect yourself.
3: Correct. Yep. So the only thing. That we could have done really any different was, like I said, protect yourself. um If you were a resident, then residents get a sweet gig. I mean, they get pretty cheap bear tags. um And if you are a non-resident, you have to be with a resident guide or an outfitter. And so, you know, for us to shoot that bear, you know, my understanding is it had been ten, eleven thousand dollars for us to have a guide in there and then shoot that bear. Where, if there was a resident, you know, they could have easily, you know, shot him whenever. And we saw him, you know, multiple times. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's like, so we get, you know, get him scared away and we're looking at this herd of caribou coming and we were behind him. And you know, you know when you can't cut them all. And it's like, I looked at my buddy I'm like, hey, you know, his last day, but man, there's no way we're catching those. You know, and so what we're going to do, we set him up, got my, got, we used my gun at that point, you know, dialed it out to 700. and I said, okay, if they go north over the ridge, shoot the, you know, shoot the bull before he goes over. If they, uh, if they turn south, you just got stupid lucky. And let's see how close they will get, right? Yeah. And man, no, no BS. They turn south and come right at us. <laughs> and so I'm ranging and dialing down so like six, five, four, three, two, you know. And so finally, it, it's just hard to get them clear because there's so many in this particular group. There's probably 60 in this group. And um, got it down, I nudged him at, at 180, and like, I just shoot him, you know. It's like <laughs> it's like he can walk us over, you know. And um, so we shot him that last bull at 180, and then we took one big heavy pack out, all four of us, and were able to get him out of there. Um, but it was it was a track. But then that night, you know, we moved the meat again. Like I can tell you, we put a tarp down, put the meat down, put a tarp on top of that, put the um, um, put rocks on top of that, and then put this little dingy boat on top of that, thinking it would scare the bear. And he just thrashed everything. And so we wake up to just, I mean, everything. was meat. Pieces of you know, game bags everywhere, and um, so we ended up uh, only yeah. getting 82 pounds worth of meat out of four caribou, which is you know kind of it, to be honest, it's a little frustrating because that's you know that's part of the reason we were you know want to do that. So yeah. um, it's an interesting thing, but it's one of those things you just kind of combat with, and it's hard because you know that unit, you know, we learned from the game warden there that that unit. Um, They've shut down elk or sorry, shut down moose in twenty three this year and it looks like they're not going to open it next year because of the um seemingly because of the grizzly population uh what it's doing to the elk cat or to the moose cat, you know so oh yeah, yeah you know it's like interesting I mean you know, I've talked about this many times it's like there's an interesting. Uh, model that for some reason we can't get behind on the uh, the management of predators, you know, wolves, bear, in some of these units, and it's really hurting the other animals, and people don't really realize that.
2: Well, and it's I means affecting your experience too. Yep. Uh, they got to, clearly, I, and I don't know if they have an overpopulation, but you would think they do when the bears are no longer afraid of humans. Hell, you shot at him, and he's just like whatever. Right. You know? it, <laughs> right. You're not gonna you're not gonna shoot me. You might shoot near me. Right. But he knows he's safe, has no, and then that just creates a conflict, uh, you know, that ultimately yep. could be dangerous for you or him. Yep. Uh, I will
3: tell you, one of the coolest things in, in the entire trip was, you know, non-caribou non related. We're sitting on top of a hill, and all of a sudden we see this, like, weird-looking, like, it looks like a grizzly. we like, oh, yeah, it's sweet, another grizzly, you know. And we look at the spot and we're like, oh, that's not a really grizzly. What in the world is that? It was a muskox, a lone muskox bull. Hmm. I can't remember where I'd seen it, but I'd seen it on a hunting show where they more or less mooed these things in, kind of like you would call in a an elk or a, a moose, you know. And so we kind of got on the on the river's edge and started and gave it my best muskox, you know, moo. Yeah, let that. What does that sound like? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's imagine imagine like a uh, a bovine mixed with an, a female moose call that's i'm not gonna do it that's the best that's the best (laughs) example of what i could do and this thing came running like running across came all the way to the riverbank we got all on film and started like making these weird grunts and huffs at us like it was awesome man it's just one of those cool things like that you know that you're really in the you know in the the tundra is awesome
0: that is pretty sweet man i'm not gonna lie i've never seen a muskox uh that's just something else on the old bucket list hopefully hunt one one day as well um Derek, we do need to take a quick break when we come back, we'll wrap up the uh the barren ground caribou trip to Alaska, do it yourself. Uh, I want to know the budget that went into this because I will definitely be looking into planning one for myself, as will uh, quite a few of our listeners, I imagine once they hear how affordable it actually is. So we'll do that and uh, kind of hear how the how the hunt ended up as well as Get into some of your interactions with the local Inuits there as well. So uh, that will be coming up after the break. That segment was brought to you by Pulsar Thermal Imaging and Night Vision Technology. If you're looking to change the game under the cover of darkness, actually just go to my Instagram page. I just posted a video of a hog hunt from the other night. Uh, me missing quite a few times. Really hit my stride on a shot like, uh, I think, shot number four. But uh, that's not the Pulsar Trail's fault. Yours truly uh, got a little excited. But as far as image quality and recording options, I mean, this thing is the creme de la creme of thermal imaging scopes. Check it out at pulsarnv.com And save 20% off your order when you use my promo code Lone Star. That's Lone Star when you check out at pulsarnv.com. We'll be right back with more Caribou Talk with our good friend Derek Ratliff right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show.
1: I look up towards the
0: heavens each night as a star start to shine by the same stars above you I swear that I love you Live Oak Outdoors offers some of the best waterfowl hunting in the Central Flyway, hunting over 2,000 acres of cut rice along the coast that attracts wintering geese by the tens of thousands. Hunts take place out of layout blinds or white parkas over a spread of 1,500 decoys. It's also common to shoot pintail and other puddle ducks in the goose spread. Professional guides make sure you have a safe and memorable hunt of a lifetime. They're based out of El Campo, Texas. Check them out at liveoakoutdoors.com, or you can book your hunt by calling Chris Slimp at 832-466-9646 all right waterfowl junkies the finisher is the quick and humane way to dispatch a duck or goose it's uh you know it's unsettling when you've wrung that bird's neck you throw it in the pile and 10 minutes later he's laying there flopping Uh -uh. we don't want that that's not ethical and so the finisher alleviates that you stick the finisher in the back of the bird's skull at an upward angle give it a little twist boom dead instantly never felt the thing the finisher is only 14 bucks. It fits on any waterfowling lanyard, and you can find it at adrenal-line.com. Hey, hey, all you waterfowl junkies out there! Cable here for TX Duck Blinds. Highly durable and highly mobile, customized duck blinds built by duck hunters for duck hunters. Each blind is built from solid steel by professional welders and field tested before shipment. A duck season will come and go, but guess what? Your TX Duck Blind is built to last. Customize yours today by calling 817-965-1306. You can also find them at texasduckblinds.com or check them out on Instagram and Facebook at TX Duck Blinds. A rock steady point, a covey rises, over-unders ring out. Cable here for White Rock Upland Birds, an outfit Bell and I have hunted with many times. Whether you bring your bird dogs or use their polished pointers, hunting quail and pheasant on the White Rock Trophy Ranch is an experience to remember. Located 45 minutes from TFW in Italy, Texas, White Rock will waive the $150 guide fee if you mention the Lone Star Outdoor show. Plus, save $25 off any package if you bring your own dogs. So grab your buddies and shotguns and call 972-880-9068 today.
3: Hi, this is Ted Cruz. Thanks for listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show.
1: Take these clouds and
0: change your sorrow. Cable Smith, welcoming everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. The flood is the name of that one from Zach Ny and that one seems unfortunately appropriate for the amount of flooding that we've had here in the Lone Star State over the last couple of weeks. Goodness gracious, the Llano River is out of its banks. People having to evacuate their homes. It's just a, it's a bad deal all the way around. And other folks, uh, yours truly included, are just having a hell of a time getting around the deer lease. Uh, that's a far cry from being forced out of your home. But, uh, man... Trying times, that is for sure. Thankful for the rain, but the good Lord has blessed us with enough. Uh, we are all set to continue our Alaskan caribou adventure DIY, do-it-yourself hunt with our good friend Derek Ratliff of Horizon Firearms. But first, this segment is brought to you by Iota Outdoors. Check out the Iota Crux if you haven't already. This is the stock that I've got on my Horizon Firearm, my 7 Mag. It weighs in at uh, under three pounds. Hmm, pretty lightweight. And uh, when every ounce counts on those backcountry hunts, that's the rifle stock you want to have. Check it out. It's the Iota Crux. You can find it at iotaoutdoors.com. All right. Uh, well, Derek, you know, we've talked a lot about this caribou hunt already. And other than the bears, getting into your meat stash at hard earned venison. It seems like this is a hunt that you would highly recommend to anyone listening.
3: Yeah, I'd highly recommend it. I know, you know you, you're big into DIY. I see that you, know, you had, look like you had a heck of a elk bow hunt this year.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was one to remember. That is for sure. No pain, I mean, no gain. That's exactly, the, exactly. it. Well, that's I said, uh, I said the a Philippians four thirteen a lot on that trip. Like, just <laughs> let me take one more step,
3: God. You know, just like uh,
2: beat the hell yeah.
3: Man, I, say, I, I can see, I can see you making this trip uh, and, and and making it work. The guys at Ram Aviation were really good. I mean, the transport service, so there's no guide, um, but man, they were, you know, professional. Got us out there. You know, you, you don't expect amazing amenities in town there, just because, I mean, heck, you're about as far north as you can possibly get, um, and it's just, you know, hard to kind of get stuff there. And but once you got it in the field and everything, I mean, you're. I mean, it's, it's neat. When the plane flies away the first time, it's sort of uh, like, wow, we're really in the middle of nowhere. And, and one thing that was kind of interesting, I know people are probably thinking it's like, oh, you know, it's these expensive hunts. But that's, why, that's one of the main reasons we did the DIY. I mean, realistically, the transport service, the gear, the food, the flight to Cotsview and back, and the, um, you know, splitting up the, the luggage haul and all that, I'm, I'm in about 5 to 5,200. Wow. Okay. So I mean,
2: pretty affordable when it comes to. I mean, if you want to go book a caribou hunt, you know, fully guided, I'm sure it's twice that.
3: Right. Oh, easy, yeah. yeah. But I mean, I think it's super reasonable. You know, um, the the group we were with said that they had hunters take about, I want to say, 90 something caribou this year with that one outfit, and they only had three groups of guys not get them. And so we kind of you know quizzed them like what you know why did some people you know not get caribou? And the biggest deal is is I mean, no you know No kidding aside, is being willing to go the distance to to get them. You know, like we didn't shoot a bull that was closer than two miles from camp. You know, Um, so if you're going to sit in camp and hope shoot one at 100 yards from a ten, I mean, it's just not going to happen. But if you're willing to walk a little bit, I mean, it's. uh, I would say it's easier once you know how they work. It's way easier to do than elk. Um, The country is maybe a little bit more difficult to to actually physically hike in, but you know the. The actual getting in front of and getting a shot opportunity, I would say, it's easier than elk. Uh-huh.
2: Okay. Well, so l- let me ask you this: as far as uh, the food and stuff, I mean, you, did you guys have that taken care of through the outfit, or Did you take it with you?
3: Yeah. So the we, we so there's two ways you can do it. You can pay just for the plane ticket out to the field and bring your own gear, or you can pay for their whole like package. So uh-huh. basically, what we did. We paid their package like thirty-two hundred a person, and that included. Uh, mountain home, uh, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, plus like some, you know, potatoes and, um, you know, tortillas and some extra, you know, Gatorade and Kool-Aid and snacks and that kind of stuff, and, and the tents and the cots uh, and the and the propane to cook with. So okay, so you did you know, have cots. That's always a, a bonus. Oh, yeah, dude. That, and that, that made it. <laughs> yeah. I had not, I had not uh, you know, spent a ton of time in a tent. Uh, I spent a lot. And this,
2: this last elk hunt we did? Um, my buddy was like, ah, I don't want to pay for the drop camp. So basically, with a drop camp, you get the wall tent, you get the cot, right. you get a stove, all this. He and he had a cool uh, seek. I think it's called Seek Outside is the name of the company. TP uh, yep. with a little yep. wood burning stove. But you know, we didn't have any cots, and we had to carry it in ourselves. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. So it was like you know, you better have a good thermo rest. <laughs>
3: yeah, exactly. I mean, I want to, I want to do the same kind of concept hunt with with the same group of guys on an elk or a mule deer, but you know I've been looking at you know people who like the same kind of deal you know, you're talking about, but somebody who can actually horseback you in or llama you in, yeah <laughs> yeah you know, I think that's half of it is getting away from the area that. You know, people were messing, you know, messing with
1: them. You know, and oh, I, I rode a horse out. Country,
3: you probably saw the pictures of my feet.
2: So <laughs> that's awesome. The last I didn't realize you
3: did that. No, I didn't. I didn't realize you rode a horse out. That's awesome.
2: Yeah, yeah. I didn't ride one in, but I sure as heck rode one
3: out. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: was that's like awesome.
2: looking. at it. I was like, I just, uh, you know, because a lot of times the downhill is actually yep. worse on your toes, and my blisters were so bad, and I mean, it was just every step was killing me. I was just like, you know what? Uh, mm. They're already coming. To pack the the elk out, they might as well just bring another another horse for me to ride out. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. What did
3: what did that what did that cost you? you know what
2: I mean, uh, I think uh, so. For anyone listening, you, you should be able to pack an elk out for between five and six hundred bucks. If you've got a
3: oh, an yeah. outfitter, and,
2: I mean, they came in. You know, we were eight miles. Our camp was eight miles in, and then it was two more miles to where we had staged the elk.
3: Nice. So
2: they had to go ten miles. Um, so that's like five hundred bucks to get the elk, and then I think. For an extra horse, it was like 150 bucks
3: for me to ride out. Totally worth it, man. That's mm-hmm. a, that, that's awesome because so much of it, I think, you know, people, I mean, I know I have, you know, get frustrated, oh, these guys, you know, went in and got this good animal or went in and did this. And so much of it, I think, is just getting to the right place, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, especially with elk, and, and the timing on elk is, is complicated. And we we just got back from New Mexico on elk hunt, and you know when they yeah no
2: hold on hold on I want to get to that though before we do that there's a couple more let's wrap up the caribou there's a couple more yep. things I want to ask you yep uh, so all in you're about fifty two hundred for a DIY Alaskan per,
3: yeah per per person yeah That's caribou my hunt budget. yep
2: uh huh yep. um, did you take a sidearm with you I mean or did you have bear spray uh, i I want – because Alaska, you know, we're, we both have concealed carry permits. I'm sure we could yep. just take our handgun up there. Yep, yep. Um, Canada has some kind of different rules, which makes it more difficult. But what did you take? I'll
3: tell you the, two things on that? This was the easiest I have ever had flying with firearm and firearm-related equipment. And I would say that I am a firm believer – shameless plug here with no sponsorship – but the <laughs> – the Alaskan Airlines did a phenomenal job hmm. all the way through. I mean, they were great and, and they acted like they'd actually seen and understood that their customers did this, right? Right. And so, I mean, it was super convenient. I mean, they, they, no big deal, you know, through so all the way through, it was great. But I took, um, so sidearm wise, I took a long slide 10 millimeter, um, just a uh, Remington R1. Hmm. And, it's, you know, and, it, you know, you look at what Raiders know with 10 millimeters, man, <laughs> right? You know, that was kind of my thought. And so we had a 10 millimeter, and then a couple 44 uh, mags, you know, and, and no bear spray, um, but just just pistols in general. And you know, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's a tough deal. I mean, you and I have talked about it, and I think I said this earlier, but after so, you know, day one, you're like, oh my gosh, the bear! What the heck, you know? And it's kind of like scary. But about the fourth time you've seen them, it's just annoying, right? Mm-hmm. So it becomes, you know, it's a, it's a weird mix internally. But besides. Or between, I gotta watch out for this thing because it could just kill me if it wanted to. Yeah. And and I'm really annoyed at the fact that I can't keep this thing away. It was like a giant raccoon, right? I can't keep it out of my me, <laughs> my me. You know, one, and one night, I mean, we had him come in and he took one of the capes, which is overly annoying. Again, you know, he took all the meat. Now he's taking the cape, and um, we actually, that cape has salt on it. So when he hit the ground, you could see every time he would grab it salt would basically come out. And huh. so we got up that next morning and kind of you know, got together and took the pistols, and salt trailed this hide huh. in, into the alders and found it about 150 yards in, and the bear had, had not messed the hide up, but he had licked every piece of salt off of it.
1: Huh. So
3: it's like if I had to do it over again, you know, I might just wait and salt the hide out just because I don't think that helped in a in bear situation, but, you know, you don't want to, you want to do the best you can to bring out what you can. But, um, you know, and we looked into and talked to the people there in, in, um, in, in town about bear spray, but I don't know. And, and there's probably people who are listening who had more experience, closer experiences and actually use some of the stuff. But to me, the kind of the general consensus I got was, well, you know, it all of it works. Maybe. Right, right. right. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> you know, and looking at the thing, like was, I think the thing that I finally just was like, yeah, you, you just don't have a chance, and it's kind of up to them what they want to do is, you know, we, we unzip the tent, and we hear him chomping on one of the skulls, and we look out and shine the light, and he's 27 paces from the camp, right? Hmm. So we literally, you know, shoot a stick beside him, and he just sits there. And he, he walks over, grabs a skull, and walks off into the brush. And it's like, you know, it's more or less that if... if you know, it's kind of like the thing you know I talked about in you know, the Hunter in Wyoming. Like, I don't know that anybody can judge how all well that went down until you're there. I mean, it's just a. Uh, I, I think they kind of get to decide how it happens. We had a had a native guy in town, you know, talking to us, and we were nervous about that as hunters. You know, we we've been warned a lot of times don't wear camo, and the people locals aren't going to like you. We had a great experience with the locals. And so don't wear camo guys... in town. Correct. Okay. Yeah, they're like. There's a culture there of people who are not Alaskan coming up there and, and taking a resource that's theirs, right? But that wasn't that wasn't the experience that we had. I mean, everybody we talked to was great. I mean, it was, you know, the food. The, we went to the local you know, burger joint and had a burger on the way out. It was, like, amazing, which I don't know if it's because I was starving or – I mean, I lost 12 pounds on the trip. So oh, I it was. I was just... It was because you were starving <laughs> and, and you've been eating freeze-dried food. The, we found a gas station
2: in New Mexico – and, and I, was, I told him about it. I was like, we got to get to, like, a fast food place or, like, even McDonald's. And he came back out. He was like, hey, this gas station actually makes the hamburgers here. And, you know, we, he's got, like, a hatch green chili <laughs> burger with bacon and, you know, double meat and cheese. And we, ate the whole thing. And fries. You know, it was great. <laughs> oh, exactly.
3: And it's like, you know, people don't realize that I never really had a mountain house until we were out there, right? And so you are walking. They tell me how many calories you're burning. And then you come back to camp and you eat a full double helping of mountain house. And it's still only like 600 calories, yeah. right? It actually, ta- it actually tasted great, you know. In fact, they're they're the dessert stuff. I mean, it was like I said, it was great. It's just, you know, you, you know, it's hard to get. I think it's hard to get the you know the calories. And like you know, for me, it was great actually because we were drinking water like right out of the river. It was awesome, you know. You didn't need to treat yeah. it, huh? No, actually, they told us you didn't need to, and we were kind of like, yeah, right. And so the That's first two days we treated it because you know you you do, and then. Three days in, you're dirty, tired, hot, and then you just walk another ten miles, and you're like, forget this. I'm just going you know, sit right here and drink right out of the river. I'll just
2: take my chances with Giardia, It's no big deal. <laughs>
3: right. That's kind of it gets to that point at some point. But no, it was. I actually think that the the water out of that particular river was better than some of the bottled water I pay for. No, I mean like for real. It was clear. You, you hold it up. There's nothing in it. Was, it was pretty amazing. But, you know, so it's just uh, well, like I said, you know, back to the the bear thing. Anyway, so, you know, we were talking to a native in the hotel and he's like, Hey, how'd it go? Did you bring the meat back? It's first question. Did, are you taking the meat home? And we were like, what, are we honest? We plan on taking it all home. Um, and we're actually all, but we went, we had set aside, we were going to do, donate X amount to the local deal. And we worked out the outfit and that was kind of plan well, kind of like we you know do a lot of times there in Africa. And, um, You know, and we said, well, you know, we only ended up with this much and we're taking all that. But the, uh, the bear got it. And he said, he, he just looked at my buddy and he said, tell you the bear gets to pick what he wants first and you take what's left and that <laughs> and i was like i was like that's about the best way to describe kind of how you know it went down but you just need to see them in their natural environment i mean it's you know um mm. you know and I, no, I'm, I'm not anti-bear i just think they're amazing animals it just was an interesting experience um not exactly what we had planned um but that's what keeps us on right? it keeps you going back
2: well let me ask you this so after talking to the outfitter, and I'm sure you ran into other hunters, uh, does this happen to every group? Or is, are you, was it kind of an anomaly that, yeah, it happens and it
3: just happens it to be happened in your turn? It seems like it happens to a lot of groups. Um, the guys who, like, some guys were getting off the plane as we were getting on the plane, and it happened to them as well. And uh, there were just two guys. I mean, they ended up with, like, literally one bag of, like, neck scraps. I mean, there was nothing left. Um, they, they picked everything they could, and that was it. But, um, you know, and then, then a, couple of the other out, or a couple of other guys we had talked to had never even seen bears. So I think it depends a lot on where you go. See, we had requested, we wanted to be able to fish, which we didn't catch any fish, but we saw some grayling and stuff. Like, we wanted to be in an area where we could have, you know, have fresh water, see fish, uh, where some of the guys went into a little more mountainous terrain. Uh-huh. And so in the more mountainous terrain, you know, they didn't see bears and stuff. But I will tell you this, at least the guys that we talked to, which probably – Five or six different out you know, different groups of hunters. Nobody saw as much as we did caribou wise. Oh, that. the guys who were in the more mountainous terrain didn't see as many quantity of animals as we did, but they also didn't mess with bear. So I think sure. you could probably went to a location. Um, I would have rather put up with a bear and saw more caribou than saw less stuff and not saw you know, and not have to deal with a bear. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh
1: yeah.
3: Yeah. am <laughs> uh, well, just it sounds like a, a heck of a trip. Uh, one that, I, I've,
2: you know, the outfitter I was uh, a prong, pronghorn hunting with, Clay Pope, uh, I was telling him about it, and he's like, "Well, shoot, I want to go next year." So yeah, you know, I, it's
3: like,
2: uh, maybe we have to. Any, get anybody
3: listening? I think I think you would love it. I mean, it's right up your alley. But anybody listening who who you know would want to go, it's Ram Aviation. I believe their website's flyingak.com dot com or maybe dot org um but i think the owner guy's name is brian just like to so tell me, you heard from the horizon firearms guys and like they're they're very professional at what they do but they legally cannot be a guide for you they're just a transport service but they're really good at it
1: mm-hmm.
2: well so i guess the last question that i have for you is how far in advance did you have to book it i mean they sold out on these things a year or two in advance or can you book it nine months or six or and
3: i i, I booked it at I booked it after SCI, which was that January. Uh-huh. So I booked it late January, early February for an October hunt, or for a, a sorry, for a September hunt. Okay. Uh, different weeks book up quicker. I know a lot of guys, and this has been my experience, I mean, I'm an avid bow hunter myself, I love archery hunting, but I, mean, I didn't see it an easy way to do it archery, to be honest with you. I know that people do it on TV all the time, but, and I'm not real sure how after, you know, I'm, I, there was not a bull that we could have shot with a bow, no way. Yeah. Um, so if you if you do archery, bring a rifle as well. Um, but and I said just do your research on the unit you want to go to. I said we, we did 23, so I'm only speaking for 23. But when I got to looking at you know migration times and I called the Alaska Fishing Game and I talked to them about migration, that was seemingly that that particular area that Western Arctic herd was migrating later. So I picked the latest possible date they had opening that we could go. You don't mess with the bugs that way. You see more caribou, but you run a, a weather risk. That's your main thing. You run a weather risk that you get fogged in, sogged in, snowed in and you have to stay in the field a couple more days and so you you know you have to kind of be flexible with your flights uh, and your timing out that's the risk I'm late but I honestly think from my research you get a better hunt.
1: Mhm. Okay.
2: Well awesome man. Well that sounds like a yeah, definitely uh, something out of the realm of of you know out of the realm that most hunters probably have have thought about doing but when you hear the price tag on a DIY caribou hunt it's like Eh, I could save up for a few months or a year and oh, yeah. to make that happen. So
3: Well, and this is, and this is coming from a guy who, like I said, I absolutely love uh, everything about elk hunting. And, man, it would be hard pressed if a guy said, hey, here's an elk tag, or hey, here's a caribou tag. <sighs> I may jump on the caribou tag. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, cool. Well, Derek, let's do this. Let's take a quick break, come back, and actually talk a little elk hunting because you just came back from uh, a rifle hunt in New Mexico, and we've got a lot to get into on that front.
3: Sounds great,
0: man. Perfect. And that segment brought to you by the All Seasons Feeder 600 pound stand and fill. It's pretty self explanatory. No more ladders, no more backing the truck up. You just stand there on your own two feet that God gave you and you fill it up. Also available in the 300 and 1,000 pound models. You can find it at allseasonsfeeders.com. We'll be right back with more from our buddy Derek Ratliff of Horizon Firearms. What's no man's land and the Elk? We discuss next on the Lone Star Outdoor Show.
3: Let her blow,
1: let her blow. blow
3: illusion like she melts the and snow. I'm Craig Boddington. I'd like to invite you to become a member of Dallas Safari Club, one of the world's leading hunting and conservation organizations. As a member, you'll receive Game Trails magazine, a monthly newsletter, and invitations to our monthly meetings and special activities. Join Dallas Safari Club an international organization based in Dallas, supporting hunting and conservation worldwide. For more information, call 800-9-GO-HUNT or visit our website at www.biggame.org. Three Curl
0: Outfitters is now offering guided North Texas quail hunts just 30 minutes south of DFW if you're looking for a quality quail hunt close to home, planning a company outing, or just looking for a place to tune up your dogs. You need to give them a call. Hunts are $250 a hunter for a half day hunt. That includes 15 birds. And you can add extra birds for $8 a piece if you want to give your bird dog just a little more run. You're welcome to bring your own dogs. Otherwise, the guide and dog fee is 150 a day for your entire group. That's not per person. Go to 3curl.com or call 214 641 8097 to book your hunt today.
3: And I've been hurting, waking up to dreams of holding you. And I've been searching these answers from the harvest moon, but the only feedback from the night
0: sky are pictures and a stack coming back to life. I think I need
3: to just think it off on a
0: drive. That's a brand spanking new one there from Garrett Ford, Roadside, roadside Fence, bringing us back on the One Star Outdoor Show. Remember, if you're an aspiring said, boy, country artist, and I mean real country, none of that Nashville crap that... Make my ears want to bleed. Uh, but you're welcome to send me your latest record. Garrett did exactly that. Uh, his uh, debut album, Woke Up in Waco. I'm certainly digging that. Uh, but you can email me, Show at gmail.com if you want to get my address and send me your record. We might spin it on the show. Um, I'm Cable Smith, by the way. Thank you, guys and gals, for being here. As we are visiting with our old buddy Derek Ratliff of Horizon Firearms. About to talk some elk hunting. But before we do that, this segment of the show brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit. You know, land is the one thing they're not making any more of. But Lone Star Ag Credit has been helping its borrowers finance their own piece of Texas for over 100 years. They'll do the same for you. Check them out at LoneStarAgCredit.com. All right. uh, Well, let's talk some elk hunting. Uh, Derek recently got back from, well, he got back from Alaska then. Essentially, went straight to New Mexico. I know his wife was less than thrilled, uh, as was mine after that New Mexico archery elk hunt. But uh, Derek, you did a a rifle hunt there. So, Derek, which caliber uh, Horizon firearm did you take with you on this trip?
3: They so brought the six five PRC that's okay. been that's kind of my gun of the year here. Yeah. <laughs> so you took the six five, which we've talked about in the past. Is yep. like a yep.
2: It's like the six five hopped up on steroids. Basically, yep. Yeah. Um, so where did you go, uh, as far as, I don't know if you drew a tag or if you had a landowner tag or, or or what, and, uh, and you were there, I was there first week of September, so it was pre-rut. You were there, gosh, what, uh, first week of October, essentially. October,
3: exactly. So what was the,
2: what was the rutting activity like this late in the season?
3: It's interesting. So we, we go unit four and it, it is private land. It's, it kind of nestled in, on, around the Carson National Forest, so it's some, uh, you know, longtime family land, and we kind of trade out on who gets tagged, and so you, you know, and that kind of stuff, right? And so uh, you kind of pick when you go. I always go first rifle, and what, the reason being is it's kind of interesting up in that. It's high country, so like the cabin, um, you know, it's, it basically takes stream water, and it's all uh, propane lantern kind of you know, cabins. So it's not like a cabin, you know, <laughs> it's like like a roughing it kind of cabin, right? But it's it's, a, it's about 9,500 foot, and I would say that the top of the, the mountains are around, you know, 11, 10, 5, 11, kind of. So you're in the high altitude, and what I'm seeing is... Well,
2: Carson you know, National Forest is no joke. I've spent a lot of time no. there, and that's yeah. where Wheeler Peak is, which is the highest point in New Mexico. Yep, exactly.
3: So, and, I, and I've always said, I mean, one of these days, I want to draw a, a tag in the Carson and, like, sleep on our side and, like, literally... The, the cabin's 150 yards from Carson, like walk across the Carson, because it's, we border some of the nastiest part of Carson that, oh. that a normal hunter's not going to get. And man, the bulls we hear on that part of the Carson are awesome. I've seen some big bulls on Carson. Well, let me
2: They're, tell you, you know, it is it is a a, a unit that, I, I did a mule deer hunt there, a rifle mule deer hunt. I didn't, yep. I was unsuccessful. And in talking with the locals around Taos and some of the other surrounding cities, because we moved camp one time, we just weren't seeing anything. Yep. And they were like, "Why did you even put in for this unit? The locals don't hunt here. We go to an easier yep. unit because it's so yep. it's so rugged, yep. so unforgiving." Um, and mm-hmm. I love New Mexico, but that uh, that was a unit that was like just kicked my ass up and down.
3: <laughs> oh yeah, no, I tell you, and and like I said for i and we, we need to get together and do it one of these years. But I, you could literally stay in our cabin and get to the nastiest part of Carson without having to put the effort in getting in there. Yeah. Um, and and like it's deep and it's deep. Like you said, there's some nasty cliffs in there, but there's good bulls in there. Yeah. But anyway, you know, it's it's interesting because our bow hunters this year, I like, had a you know a couple cousins and uncles go on bow hunting and bow hunting was tough. It seemed to be a hot pretty quiet. Um, and then you know you get that week break before rifle season starts, and so. You know, coming off that week break, it, it's typically when they seem to be the hardest rut. And so what we've noticed, and this would be my, maybe, I don't know, maybe six or eight time to go up there and elk hunt that particular property. And what we see is the first two to three days of first rifle, the bugle is still pretty good if the weather is right. Mm-hmm. And um, and then they kind of quiet down and get, you know, and then, it's, and then you may get a little blip at the end of the next week, a little bit of bugle, and then it's pretty much done. I mean, you're coming off of it being like the right time like that week they get to break is <laughs> for a reason you know what I mean mm-hmm. um and so you know we we got there heard a few bugles nothing you know nothing major um the uh the, the, I'd say the first morning they were bugling solid but it was temperatures in the 50s and and kind of humid you know hotter than uh, you know what I normally used to right and so what we, we kind of did is we, we got up, we, we split ways, had my uh, brother-in-law went kind of up the mountain. We went sort of down the mountain and, uh, with, with my brother Austin. And we kind of come through a clearing, saw seven cows, and they were being herded by, you know, what looked like to be the herd boys, a solid five-by-six. And, um, you know, basically we kind of went to the edge of his rock. And while he was herding the cows, I gave it a cow call, just, you know, a your cow call and stopped him. And, uh, uh, boom, you know, and Austin put the PRC on him and boom. And it took, you know, it took, shot him in the shoulder and then, you know, shot him kind of in the lungs. And then, you know, we went ahead and shot him one more time, kind of unreasonable last time, finish him off, you know, and, and, uh, here we go. we got a bull has two eighty seven, you know, first morning. It's awesome. Yeah. Right. And, um, my brother-in-law and then had slipped in on one, but he kind of outpaced him, you know, and it's, it happens. Right. And so that evening, my brother-in-law was going to go back to the, to the mountain. This is kind of a funny story. It's one of those all hunters will appreciate this, but you know, we're watching him from the cabin. I got my maven uh, spot and scope and we're checking it out and we see this nine six by six come out and we know he is about 300 yards from this bull, right? Hmm. And uh, he'd asked me that morning how many how many shells I need to take. I don't know, man. Six, I guess. I don't know. You know? <laughs> right. How many do you want to take, right? And so the bull comes out and he's standing at the top of the mountain, got to be about 300 yards and I'm watching it. I'm spot and scope.
1: Boom! <sighs>
3: Sounds like he shoots a mile over him, right? And I'm like, well, that's kind of interesting.
1: Boom!
3: <laughs> he Shoots a mile over. Bull's not doing nothing. This happens. <laughs> this happens five shots, right? Oh my god! And so I'm sitting and I'm there with my father-in-law. My father-in-law is kind of like starting to get into panic. Like, what is he doing? Like, the bull is standing there. Like, what, how is he missing? Like, what's wrong with the gun? I'm like, he's shooting a mile and a half over him. I don't know what to tell you, you know. And so he's like, you know, my father-in-law is like. I mean, you know, what, what you show you got left? he's got one shot left, but we'll see what <laughs> happens, you know, and then about 10 minutes go by, boom, whop, nails him, the bull comes rolling down the mountain. Yeah, I mean, that was weird, you know, and so we go up, and this is, a, this is a, something to keep in your mind, this is a good learning experience for everybody, um, he walks up, so what happened? He said, I mean, you're not going to believe it, I'm laying prone, about a 45 degree angle on this hill, and, uh. The first five shots, he hit an aspen branch that was laid over about 10 to 15 feet in front of his muzzle.
1: Uh-huh. So his
3: scope was clearing it, but the barrel was not. He had a great group on that log, but, you know, <laughs> <laughs> the bullet was going 10 foot and then going wherever. Um, and so on his last shot, he literally picked his gun up and, and ran up because he thought something was wrong with the gun. He said when he got done, laid down, shot the bull, and he went to pick his gun back up. And he noticed his logs all gnarled up, so we cut that out and we dropped the uh, that log with the taxidermy mount. So we're gonna do a cool uh, wall pedestal <laughs> with that log kind of coming out of the uh, coming out of the shoulders. That's so, awesome. That was awesome. Then we then we ended up, you know, like I said, and, and I know you dealt with this on kind of the opposite end, but Man, when weather sits on on elk, I mean, you know, you just kind of gotta live with it and, and do what you can. And we got a couple of days of a pretty solid rain and fog and. I mean, I got stir crazy, and we just hunted the rain. You know, but we had good thicker gear, and just hunted the rain. And, um, didn't see much, and the bulls had literally quit. Um, you know, quit viewing at all. And so we got kind of went to one side of the mountain, and we we, we kind of gave up. Tell my brother, like, that's fine if I don't get one. You know, we'll we'll go ahead and go. So we're walking back to the cabin to pack everything up. I look over, and I see a bull on the other side of the mountain, pretty close where my brother-in-law had shot his. Like, sprint across there, best we can. Of course, you're high altitude. You're wheezing when you get there, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> like, we get set down and hit the bull's gone. Okay, no problem. Well, the bull comes back out right about dark. And, I mean, it's not dark, dark. I mean, like I said, it's still got great camera light, you know, but it's getting dark. It gets dark quick there when it goes behind the mountain. But um, 385 ranged him, and it gave me, you know, range him to me a corrected distance, 372. Boom, nail him, drop him. And then he, uh, you know, before I get another shot loaded up, he literally – starts dragging and picks his, um, you know, kind of picks his feet up and gets over the edge of this end of this kind of bowl canyon. And I'm thinking, you know, what in the world at this point? Um, and so we decided, like, every, you know, every good hunter, we're like, look, we're going to let him sit, and we'll come back in the morning. And that was, I don't so know. At least
2: dragon is back then. Oh,
3: yeah, man. He literally, like, literally – Drops all four feet out from underneath him. I mean, like, steamrolls him. And then, um, you know, he kind of is dragging, dragging, dragging and trying to get his feet underneath him. But he just kind of goes over the little hump, and I expect him to be, you know, 10 or 15 yards over that little hump. No problem, right? Right. And we watched the film. It looked great. You know, no big deal. Well, we, uh, so we go back to the camp, you know, we eat dinner and everything. And from 2.30 in the morning to 5.30 in the morning, it poured down like monsoon rain. And so looking back, oh, that's I wish... Oh, heartbreaking. Oh, yeah, dude. And it's like you wake up at 2 and you're like, what are you going to do, you know? I wish we would have just, you know, put some lights on. Maybe pushed it a little bit more to see kind of what, what you know, what happened. But uh, we get up the next morning and it's so foggy, you can see about 80 yards. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just... And so we we spent about three hours up and down the mountain and never found anything. Best And we wiped it. We had footprints the night before and had that strong elk smell. And it was, you know, gone, but... Best that I can tell watching the footage is, and, I, and you know, you need to learn from my mistakes, it's on that it's about a 40-degree angle uphill, and, um, you know, I, I'm a creature of habit. I like to shoot in that upper third on most games, you know, especially when it's, when it's flat. At upper third, you get kind of a bullet dropping down through, and you usually get top of vitals, and you kind of get that shock that drops them, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't compensate really for that steep angle, and I think best that I can tell is it kind of hit and exited going up, shocked that spine you know paralyzed them, but didn't get just the right amount of vital i mean it was just basically four inches too high and you know one of those things where no man's you know, land no man's land and and you you know you hear people preach that all the time and i've had it happen to me a couple times on different animals but i mean it's a real deal especially on elk um and one other thing i mean just for your listeners i'd say too i didn't think about this Talked to a lot of buddies who elk kind of a lot and we kind of reviewed the footage and I had let him kind of come into this opening. He was looking at us, and I waited till he put his head down, kind of grazed him, and got his shoulders in the right position before I shot. And um, a buddy of mine kind of said something I thought was pretty interesting. He's like, "Well, if you if you'd waited for him to pick his head up, when they pick their head up, that spine kind of droops in there and gives you about two to two and a half inches more of, you know, target opportunity that would put them down. So when I get the head down, that no man's land actually becomes a little bit bigger." Huh. Um, so just you know, the thought thought for the guys here going out there doing it, just kind of stay you know, on the elk, you know. And the elk an interesting thing. We build a lot of guns a lot of people go a lot of different places, and elk are the one thing that it's hard to tell people you know, what the best caliber is. I and mean, we've done it with a lot of calibers, small calibers, big calibers. But the um, the most difficult thing with them is they're they're a big herd animal. They can get in some nasty country, and they're tough. They're a lot tougher than people think, and so. You know you can hit one with a big bullet in the right spot and he's still going to go and when he goes he gets mixed in with that herd and and they're they're a harder animal to track you know and i think you know i think that they deserve a little more you know respect you know in terms of toughness than say even a moose you know yeah, uh sure. you know or you know i was talking to <laughs> talking to a buddy who's. You're doing Marco Polo, and you say, yeah, man, and, you know, Marco Polo, they're big, thick animal, not as big as an elk, you know, it's not the same kind of deal, but you shoot one, you can watch him for six miles, where an elk, right. you may, you know, you may be, and especially, that's, you know, respect to you guys that have done it on the archery side, man, that's a tough, that's a tough uh, blood trail, that's not an easy thing to do.
2: Well, it's pretty easy when you shoot him in the chest at 15 yards.
3: Wow, that's true. <laughs> uh, did you see that
2: that blood trail I posted on Instagram? Oh
3: no, man! Look at that. That's.
2: You awesome. need it. It's it was like a crime scene, dude. I mean, and he ran, uh, he ran ten yards, stop, looked back at me, and I just saw blood just, whoosh, whoosh, just gushing oh, out God. of him. that's awesome. And 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 then he walked another. I guess he finally crashed forty yards away. I couldn't see him. He went behind some trees. Yeah. Uh, and I'm thinking, you know, my buddy walks up because he couldn't see the shot. He was calling for me. Nice. And he put me, you know, we, we arranged it so I was, I was uh, upwind of him. So when the elk came in, you know, I stereo, you know, the stereotypical elk setup. Then I'd have a shot as he's trying to get downwind of my buddy. Yep. You know. So anyway, um, yeah. I, and I didn't even when you see that blood trail, you're still like, I hope he's dead. I hope he's dead. Even though you yeah. know he's, he's got to be dead, right?
3: Right. But exactly. you don't believe it until you
2: put your hands on him. So.
3: Which, I mean, that's that's the funnest thing. I was telling them, my wife and I were talking about it, and between the caribou and, and the um, the elk here lately and stuff and taking other people in, I've gotten to where I, I think I enjoy putting other people on animals just as much, especially big animals like that. Cause, like you said, when you walk up on an elk, it's it's a mixture between, wow, this is awesome, what did I do, and how do I get it out of here? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know?
2: Yeah. Uh, but you said the but, smell, my buddy, as we're walking up, you know, approaching elk. Before we even thought, he's like, "I smell him. He's dead. I can smell him.
3: I can smell him." Yep. I mean, you just you just know, and that's 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 the cool thing about elk, and you know, I, it's I've never done it. Well, take that back. I've done it on the archery side, not successfully. When we in, in Oregon, I, you know, I've been with some buddies who watched them successfully do it, called you know, with them successfully taking it. I've never personally taken one successfully with the with a bow, but they're I don't know they're they're. There's something different about Elkhorn and the country, and then you know, than a lot of other stuff. And but the calling is amazing, man. But when they shut up and when they're done, I mean, it's it's tough. It's oh, tough yeah. to find them. The, my my buddy
2: uh, Chisholm, his his one of his lines of the week that I I just it cracked me up because we had literally very little bugling going on for that first week of September. It's early, you know, and uh, but finally we got some bugling going and and. He's like, well, you can get them to bugle when it's bugling time.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> that's that's exactly right. I mean, and you feel like when home they're home. hot and and you're bugling, them, you feel like you can do no wrong. Yeah. You know, yeah. like you talk you talk about the Carson. You know, we we bugle a, a decent ish. I mean, like I said, you know, I don't know that I went past them five by five out of the Carson. You know, almost. You know, like right up to the edge of the Carson, like on a kind of a cut and. Uh, you know it was fun messing with him but it was like only bugle no cow calls nothing he was kind of wheeling in there and we just kind of you know matched him basically and got him mad enough to come up to the fence line you know um it was was awesome but then you know 24 hours later you felt like man if i blow this bugle again there will be not another elk on this entire mountain oh yeah it's like they just uh, when they're done they're done and i think you know i just think they they know it's pretty awesome to watch them though i mean it's kind of interesting though. and you, you hunted that part of New Mexico. I don't feel like I've seen the monsters in that particular area, like the like the like the ones you see on TV all the time. And I don't feel like I see as big herds as, as I would expect. And I think it's just because it's the high country.
2: Yeah, it's a, it's definitely a, a difficult place to hunt. Um, I don't know as far as the quality of bulls. I, I have not taken one successfully. I haven't actually elk hunted in the Carson, just mule deer, and spent a lot mm-hmm. of time up there. I like Horseshoe Lake, backpacking and stuff.
3: Oh, sure, yeah, you're real close to us.
2: Oh, really? Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's where I that's where I did that muley hunt. I've done uh, quite a bit of fishing up there. Really. Uh, oh, Lost Lake is right below that, and. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You're um, real
3: close. I mean, you could. We can see Lost Lake when you get up on. So if, if where where you're at, if you look. There's back. no
2: fish in Horseshoe Lake, by the way. A waste of time. Gotta, <laughs> Lost Lake occasionally has some, in it. it just depends on the last time New Mexico stocked it. You know.
3: That's awesome. So if you look to the south, there is a, um, a mountain that looks like a big volcano.
1: Uh-huh.
3: That's on our place. That's, oh. Well, it's Cer- uh, Sierra Serragate is what in Mexico calls it. We call it Cat Mountain, but it's um, a big, you know, big volcanic deal there, and like right, right on the edge. But you talk about mule deer, though. I've I've tried and have not been successful yet. Had a had an uncle that was successful in drawing a uh, a uh, muzzle loader mule deer tag there because in that week between archery and uh, rifle elk we tend to get uh you know you can muzzle out our mule deer and i've seen some in there that would you know be easily one seventy one eighty 180 you know start one last I'm year i'm pretty
2: but. sure the state record got killed up Brown horseshoe like uh i, I six believe or it. seven years ago yeah
3: i believe it there's some big ones in there but the quantity uh is not real good, but the quality is pretty darn good. Yeah,
2: that's exactly the the truth. And that's why I came home empty handed, you know, I spent a whole, that's the worst public land hunt I've ever been on. I I spent a whole week up there and we saw one mule deer buck that was like Mm on a, on a mountain, you know, two miles away, so it was, (laughs) but Hey, you know, I'd do it again in a heartbeat. Oh Um, yeah. Absolutely. Back to your elk hunt. So it rains all night, you've, you've shot this thing in no man's land. Uh, you don't find him. Yep. But it's it's not all doom and gloom. There's a happy ending here. What is that? Well,
3: somebody else oh, got him. Oh yeah, I know you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I <got> you. <laughs> no, we uh, so so part of the deal, and I and I know you got young ones too. So I, my boy is five this year, and we we've, we've gotten to where. Um, you know, he's pumped about this year getting a hot youth weekend, he's been practicing quite a bit and everything. But he's on this antler collection kit, right? And so, um, he you know, we I brought him a caribou antler home and whatever and so when we left he was like, Hey, can you bring me home antlers, right? And I'm like, Oh yeah, you know, no no problem, right? Mm-hmm. Well, so we were sitting there the last day and uh, you know, look at this bull and I'm I'm you know, bummed, right? And so my brother is looking too and he hollers, Hey, found an elk I'm like, Yeah, no yes, you know. And I walk over there and he's got this monster, uh, not shed, but I mean, it's, a, it's an elk that either was hit or died maybe two, three years ago. I mean, a, a really big six by six for that particular area. Um, and so anyway, we ended up getting to bring that home. Anybody who like follows me or watches us, uh, my wife was at a, a woman's conference the other night, and so my boy and I had, uh, had just the night at the house and ended up creating an antler wall so we got this big elk on it and we got like we're starting to basically uh wallpaper one wall in his room with antlers and so of course mom loved that right right it was uh <laughs> she that's awesome. probably
2: the same way my wife feels because uh some of the mounts have now spilled into henry's room but he didn't shoot i shot him and i tricked him like hey henry wouldn't this look good in your room
1: like, <laughs> exactly yeah
2: and now he has a guy like what is does my wife's like, why does he have two black buck and uh, axis deer in his room? I'm like, I don't know. He just said he wanted them. <laughs> he, he wanted them, right, exactly. <laughs>
3: yeah. well, I, said, I, said, I said, hey, buddy, this would make great show and tell. I'm like, she's like, you're going to have him bring a 300-inch, uh, uh, you know, elk antler show and tell? Why not? Right? it would be great, right? Yeah. So, anyway, he's, it's funny, too, because uh, he's already got me in trouble a little bit because he's, he's convinced he's going to Africa with us in July, which, like I said, we, you know, we've still got, you know, I think y'all are putting together a trip too, right?
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
3: Yep, yep. I think we've got uh, maybe two spots left on our trip. Uh, we've got a bunch of guys going this year and everything. And so he's, uh, you know, decided he's going to the extent that he told me on the way home from school the other day that his teacher asked him what, what days he was going to be gone for Africa. <laughs> 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 so I'm like wait, you told your kindergarten teacher you're going to ask them? Well, yeah, she asked me when I was going to be gone, you know? Like, well, duh, you yeah. know? So, I don't know. It, it's fun. It's it's going to be interesting because we've got a I was telling you, you know, before we get on air here, that we, we I've got a really good – or two really good bucks, you know, North Texas, you know, low fence, the place that I learned to hunt, uh, you know, picked out for him. But the problem I keep having is I, I keep, the last three years, somebody continually finds my stand – and steals my game camera.
1: Uh, had that happen? And this, mm-hmm.
3: Man, and this year, like I so said, I need to get some of the locks you were talking about because That's this what I year
2: do. lock them all up.
3: Man, I had them steal the camera, and it looks like they hunted my bow stand on the and Martin. And I'm like, okay, now it's getting to be where this is really, really annoying. Um, so we moved stands and got got a a good, uh, you know. It's funny because my wife, like I said, she lo- she loves the industry. She's hunted herself, you know, on TV with me, and, and like, we have tons of mouths. Great, you know. Um, but it's funny because she's like, well, you know, his first deer can't be a real big deer. But it doesn't, you know, maybe it shouldn't be a doe because we want to mount it, right? right. <laughs> it's like I'm looking for, like, this deer that's kind of in the middle, but you know cause I don't want him to shoot something super big either, you know, and so it's like I'm looking for this perfect deer, so I've got this really nice he's on one side he's really nice, you know mature old you know eight point and the other side he's just kind of a scrubby knot of mess right, and so it's just a good kind of management deer in that area, and he's pretty he's coming in pretty regular, and so I'm hoping uh he's successful with a it's been fun. I don't know. You're probably the person I know who checks game cameras and and, and works them that way the most. Um, but it's fun to do it with the kids because he's gotten into flipping through the pictures and everything. You know? Oh
2: yeah, yeah.
3: yeah. And how how old is he now? He's five. Uh-huh. He'll be six in November. So about okay, yeah, right, so. you know as the time season gets here, he'll be right there. At
2: six. Yeah, Henry but. is five and he'll be six uh, December 31st. So
3: see, they're out there the same age. But your son's done
2: a lot more shooting. Henry's uh, he has a BB gun and that's kind of what I'm comfortable with him doing so far right. he hasn't you know he hasn't shot a rifle yet i know uh when your dad builds custom guns it's probably a little bit easier to get him set up yeah and
3: i mean it's one of those things right it's just part of uh it's part of what we do and like I said right wrong or indifferent some people would be you know whatever in some something things awesome but it's it's I mean, that's our family culture and oh so, absolutely i mean we he, he yeah it probably shoots
2: my plan this year for is for
3: him to watch me shoot a deer
2: you know <laughs> I think that's the next step for him. He he's probably not quite as mature. You know, or, oh, man, we did that I just last haven't gotten year. that it's, vibe yet
3: from It him. is amazing though, like how like I took my boy last year and shot a doe, and the the amount of pumped he was was awesome, right? You know, and um, to the extent he's like, can we do that again? Can we shoot another one? For yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, he's totally but, he's totally
2: digging filling up the feeders and checking the game yeah. cameras. So you know, the next logical step is for
3: him to sit in the blind. It's, uh, that's fun, it's fun yeah you got to be sure though in the early season and um, i know at least and especially in your part of the it's like we i grew up not too far from where you're at there but uh the mosquitoes this year or something oh now, my god yeah i don't yeah. know uh we got three thermocels and a good uh you know mosquito what i guess proof resistant whatever blind hopefully we can get in that man, i don't know you know it's going to be it's going to be in that early season Is tough
2: well but as we wrap this up, you still didn't go where I wanted you to go with the elk story.
3: Okay, excuse me. Where you Where you want me? you, where you, well, where you, where you didn't give your, me a little hint here. Didn't one of your family members end up shooting the elk that you shot? Oh, this is no. This is that's that's uh, two years ago. Oh, okay. So I'll tell I'll tell that story. That I think it's a great story. Yeah, but that was two, that was two years. So ago, this so, pull,
2: so this year's elk, you never did find him.
3: Never did find okay.
2: him. Okay, so you told me off the air the story, him. and I was like, oh, I guess I just misunderstood.
3: Oh yeah, no 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 problem. But this year's elk, I never did find. Him. But the same thing happened to me. About three years ago, and uh-huh. this was a, a kind of a neat deal. so we um, so my wife's cousin, um, her was basically three years ago was was driving down the back row with her kids and had a car wreck and and she passed away. Um, the kids were okay, and basically left her husband with essentially, you know, three young kids, right? Mm. And um, he hadn't had a lot of opportunity to hunt, but loved hunting. And we talked a lot and everything. And just an awesome guy. Um, he's the pastor there in, in Muldoon, Texas. And so I told my wife, I said, I want to take him on an elk hunt this year. you know. And so we, my, my father-in-law and I took him on an elk hunt to the same property. And, um, you know, my, my father-in-law was guiding in the first morning, and I went kind of the other side of the mountain to kind of scout. First morning, saying about distances of this particular bull, shot him almost in the same spot, dropped the bull and so much so on camera, we panned out and we're doing like, hey, we here's the five ways and <laughs> Yeah, here's here's all the you know, all the behind the scenes, you know, B roll stuff. And bull gets up and runs off, right? And this and, and you know, not to exaggerate, because that gotta like tell you, that particular area of uh, New Mexico has good bulls but I've never seen anything monster, right? Mm-hmm this bull was like a 7 by 7 320, 325 kind of bull. Biggest bull we probably ever killed off the property. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, take the camera back, I'm like, look at this guy, right? And it's, it was, for me, one of the first animals, I, in fact, maybe the first big game animal I'd ever had that happen to and not found, right? And so, you know, I kind of had that thing where it's like, do I, you know, keep looking? You know, do I look for it? How long do I look for it? Do I hunt? Do I not hunt? Do I hunt over? Like, what is the you know, that weird moral hunt- hunting dilemma there. And, and I kind of, and that's the same thing I did this year. To me, like, I notched my tag and said, that's my bull. I'm going to find him, right? right? And if I don't find him, that's... that's Kudos that's, to you because there's a lot of people out there yeah. who would not do
2: that.
1: Like,
3: And that's that's just how I personally decided then that that's how I was going to handle it from here, there out, right? And mm-hmm. so looking for the bull, looking for the bull, looking for the bull, right? And so we're three days later in. And they have seen some bulls, but you know he could not over-experience hunter. Um, in, you know, trying to get in the right spot, right? So I'm like, hey, go to this spot here. The elk like to move this direction, this time, this direction, and every time you'll be within a couple hundred yards, great, right? And uh, so I'm still looking for the bull on the other side of the mountain. and I hear, boom, boom, boom. I'm like, oh yeah, man, you smoking it. You know, you hear it hitting it, and um, you hear him shoot two more times. Whatever. Okay, cool, we got it. And we work down there, and they had it. Started quartering it up, and I come up on this bull, and I'm like, "Hey, that's my bull!" <laughs> and uh, he's like, well, "What do you mean? I just I just shot him." I said, "Man, that's the bull that I shot three year, or three days ago on camera." <laughs> no, there's no way this bull came from you know this direction. I'm like, "Man, I just, yeah, that's awesome! Congrats! I mean, it's the biggest bull we've ever killed. Great seven seven, you know, pumped." Um, but I'm like, "No, that's my bull." So. We get this thing quartered, and I was shooting 160 grain Acubon 7 mag. He was shooting 180 grain Corelock Lock out uh, uh, of uh, 6, right? And so he he comes back to me and get back to camp, and he's got basically four bullets that he found. So I'm like, Check out these bullets I found. And I immediately recognized what's like, the, like, the left over the white tip of the Acubon. I'm like, That's my bullet. <laughs> he goes, what do you mean? Like So we got a set of calipers there, and we're like, Yep. The 284 bullet, here's 230 or 336 bullets, and um, that's you know what happened. And so I shot him in that no man's land, high, just like that same angle we talked about, and lodged in the opposite side shoulder. And that bull was caught with, was was killed three days later with cows on the same mountain. Uh, so we we just, talked about how tough they are. I mean, oh yeah, and and I think you know begin to reiterate. Like I said I made a mistake twice, and you. know, different people are going to have There will not be a third time. Yeah, yeah, there will not be a third time, but the the no man's land on the elk is a real thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. You know, and next and it happens everybody. Well, but, cool story, though,
2: because, I mean, from oh, the tragedy that that he had just yeah. experienced and then being able to take the biggest pull ever on the property. Yeah,
3: exactly. And that was that was the coolest thing for me, too, and I was just like, I think in general for all of us it was a, you know, awesome yet, you know, emotional thing. Uh, I mean, I think that's that's what hunting should be, right? You yeah. know, and um that that to me is a, the, the property that i feel you know most connected to god and nature and all that and it was i mean it was awful you know but it was one of those things where i was just floored <laughs> i mean like walking up and you're like ah, you just know that's the elk you know yeah um so it's oh, yeah. really cool but anyhow so yeah i mean like I actually I, I love elk hunting and have done quite a quite a bit of it and been been lucky. Uh, to, to done quite a bit of that now i'm trying to trying, trying to figure out what's next on the bucket list after after doing the caribou piece so yeah. i don't know what's 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 on yours
2: well the caribou it just because of the price and because it's the experience that you had i mean yep. i've never been to alaska and to me alaska has always been this yeah yep. i want to go there but leave the price tag on most of the animals up there is just yep. you know if you want to shoot a doll sheep 25,000 oh, yeah. if you want to show oh, a yeah. grizzly 20,000 you know Yep. um well and that's moves right. you know right. fifteen, twenty thousand. 20,000 it's just yep you, you know so to to hear about a diy opportunity up there
1: uh, and then
3: supposedly there's some units up there but i'm trying to figure out that there are some diy float trip moves that i'm mm-hmm. trying to figure that piece out as well but yep. yeah i mean just real quick i mean we took some my, my um uh, you know you listeners know we follow us pretty well but like we um uh my, you know, my wife's granddad, a big hunting influence on me, he passed away this last year, and I ended up with this hunting belt that he went to Alaska in, 90, in the 90s with, right? And the story he always told was, you know, he had, he, him and his wife, who went on, quote-unquote, the most expensive hunt he'd ever been in, 1991, right? They shot a doll sheath, uh, a moose, and two caribou, and did a full fish trip. Uh, and he said that the, the trip cost him $10,000. <laughs> and so, you know, it's so funny. Take that my money.
1: Uh, yeah, Take my money.
3: Yeah, he was, yeah, exactly. That time he was 81, and I remember him sitting in our office, and I remember saying, "I can't, I can't shoot that sheep for that." Like, I, and, and you know, like that, you get a half. Understand, a sheep for that. you know? And so it was. She looked at me like, "Boy, you're stupid." Like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs>
1: yeah.
3: So when he passed away, like I got that belt. I hunted with that belt. That's been my new hunting belt. I took it to Alaska with us, and uh, and then I I actually got that sheep mount and I'm about to put it up. Uh, you know, with 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 my caribou and everything, and so this is kind of neat. Like I said, you know, we I think we did a show talking about how much um, you know things have changed, but yeah. you can know, take advantage of it while you can. Yep, yep.
2: Well, I'll keep putting in for for draw opportunity on the sheep. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah, me too.
3: I I don't know. One of these, I guess uh, what was it? Colorado or Oregon? I heard that like a, a girl drew this year or something on the on the, her first time in ever. You know, and oh no, not what it was. I mean. Uh, and then, wasn't it uh, the new marketing manager for Sika, didn't he draw first time ever?
2: No, oh, no, no, no. So first light, yeah. Tag, first light, tag, there you go. Okay. He, uh, he drew a doll sheep hunt at the, uh, I think in Reno at the sheep show. We had him on to talk about that, and we need to follow up with him to. Uh, yeah,
3: I would love to know how that went down because, I mean, that's just. He had no hunting experience. He shot one duck. Well, hey, that's the thing, though. That means, hey, look, you are in the right spot in the right in the uh, industry at the right exact time.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it was one of those deals where it, it makes for a much better story than somebody who's oh, done it, yeah. you know, been there and done that.
3: Yeah, absolutely.
2: And so. you
3: know, I appreciate it as always, though. I mean, appreciate you having us on. Yeah, I certainly enjoyed it, man.
2: We'll do it again soon. And I know where, where you're taking off to next.
3: So we're doing, we're teaching kind of the first of our uh, kind of shooting schools uh, down in South Texas. I'm um, going to be kind of a, a neat deal. We're trying to see. And like so that would be it'd be awesome if you've got listeners who uh, are interested in that kind of thing. Uh, maybe send us a message on Facebook, Horizon Firearms, and kind of let us know. We're toying with the idea of doing that more often. Um, we've got kind of a, I would say, a private event uh, that we've been invited to come out and, and, and basically do a long-range shooting course for six individuals. Um, hmm. And then, you know, it's something that we're looking to expand into if there's people out there that are you know interested in, in doing that. And then after that... Uh, we go, I got another event in Austin, and then hope, and hopefully uh, we'll be gearing up for youth weekend before too long. Well, hopefully your son will get that
2: gnarly eight-point. So Yeah, absolutely. Sure a photo.
3: Absolutely, man.
2: All right, buddy. Well, we appreciate,
1: appreciate
3: it. it. We'll
2: yeah. talk to you soon, good Derek.
3: Time. Sounds good. Mm, bye.
0: All right. There he goes. With us for the entirety of today's broadcast, uh, our good friend Derek Ratliff of Horizon Firearms. And uh, you can check them out, of course, at horizonfirearms.com if you're interested in a custom rifle build or semi-custom. They do a lot of rebarreling, all that good stuff as well. That segment of the presentation was brought to you by John X Safaris. If you're not aware, I'm going back. I can't wait. It'll be trip number three. The date is June 7th through the 15th. Still have three spots. I'm taking... 700 total and I've got three spots left so if you're interested on the South African safari of a lifetime shoot me an email Lone Star Outdoors Show at gmail.com unfortunately just looking at the clock here we've got to go got to get out of here we're flat out of time and I've got a tree to climb so I do want to say thanks to Derek uh, our only guest today <laughs> Uh, thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of the Lone Star Outdoors Show. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying, Y'all have a great week in the outdoors.
1: Please take my far away